I've been given the assignment this evening of speaking on Acts, the 18th chapter, and if you want to follow along, then I would encourage you to turn there now. Acts, the 18th chapter. And these things, Paul, after these things, Paul departed from Athens and came to Corinth. And he found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, lately come from Italy, with his wife Priscilla, because that Claudius had commanded all Jews to depart from Rome and came unto them. And because he was of the same craft, he abode with them and wrought for their occupation they were tent makers. Actually, this is pretty much history in this chapter tonight. And so I'm not going to have a whole lot of comments from verse to verse because most of it is just telling uh, of Paul's travels. We will have some comments on some of these verses, though. Verse 4 says, He reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded the Jews and the Greeks. And when Silas and Timotheus were come from Macedonia, Paul was pressed in the Spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus was Christ. And when they opposed themselves and blasphemed, he shook his raiment and said unto them, Your blood be upon your own heads, I am clean. From henceforth I will go unto the Gentiles." And so we see that Paul had been reasoning with the Jews in the synagogue. That's where he went first. Romans 16, I am not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth to the Jew first and also to the Greek. When Jesus sent the apostles out on the limited commission, he said, go into the way of the Jews, into the way of the Gentiles, enter thou not. And so... Christ was giving them first opportunity to accept the gospel wherever it was preached. And Paul, as his custom was, went into these synagogues and tried to reason with them. And he would, he would take their own scriptures, the Old Testament scriptures. Actually, that's all of the scripture they had at that time, as far as we know. We don't know exactly when the New Testament began to be written. But there's plenty of prophecies in the Old Testament that Jesus fulfilled in detail. Verse 5 says, And when Silas and Timotheus were come from Macedonia, Paul was pressed in the Spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus was Christ. And when they opposed themselves and blasphemed, he shook his raiment and said unto them, Your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean from henceforth. I will go unto the Gentiles. I want to spend a little bit of time on this verse. I know that when I was younger, I didn't, I didn't understand a lot of this. And uh, I've studied some things that may be helpful to you. I hope you won't be bored if it's not. But he said, your blood be upon your own heads. That's not a term we use in our language today. Your blood be on your own head. That is words that are taken from the Old Testament. 
And essentially what it means is you are responsible for your sin. And if you don't change your life, you're going to give an answer for that. Now let's go back to the Old Testament and get some background on that in Ezekiel the 18th chapter. Ezekiel 18. I was in a, in a meeting with some church leaders a while back, and, uh, and I talked about these verses I'm fixing to talk about. And I told them that this, along with Acts 20, uh, had a lot to do with me beginning to preach. Because I believe these verses uh, are exciting to me, but they really put reality on the preachers of a sho uh, uh, shoulders of a preacher about how serious it is to take up the teaching of the Word of God. So let's begin here in Ezekiel. I'm sorry, I think I told you 18. Ezekiel 33. One through eight. And the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, speak to the children of thy people, and say unto them, When I bring the sword upon the land, if the people of the land take a man of their coast and set him for their watchman. He's going to give an illustration from life here to make a spiritual application. And he said, You tell my people that when I bring an enemy army against them, if the people of the land take a man of their coast and set him for their watchman, in other words, a watchman on the wall, and if he sees these soldiers coming, he's supposed to blow the trumpet and warn them to get inside the city so the gates can be closed and you can be safe inside. Verse 3 says, If when he seeth the sword come upon the land, he blow the trumpet, and he warn the people, then whosoever taketh heart... Pardon me. Whosoever heareth the sound of the trumpet and taketh not warning, if the sword come and take him away, his blood will be upon his own head. So the responsibility of the watchman's to blow the trumpet. That's his responsibility. And if there's somebody out there plowing in the field and they say, Well, I think I can make one more round before the army gets here. And the enemy army comes and they capture him and take him away or kill him. He's responsible for his death. He was warned and he did not take warning. Verse 5 says, He heard the sound of the trumpet, took not warning, his blood shall be upon him. His blood. Blood signifies death. You know, if this watchman don't blow the trumpet, he can have his life taken. That's his job. That's his one job, is to blow the trumpet. Six, if the watchman see the sword come and blow not the trumpet, and the people be not warned, if the sword come and take away any person from among them, he shall be taken away in his iniquity, but his blood will I require at the watchman's hand. So what, what's going to happen to this watchman that has a sole responsibility of watching out for the people and making sure that they're all safe 
and he's sleeping or he's fiddling around and he don't blow the warning. He says if they take away any person, even one, his blood will I require of the watchman. In other words, he would pay with his life. That's what that means. That's generally, I think, is what's practiced in our military service today. If you're on guard and you let the enemy get inside the camp, you're in trouble, big trouble. And probably this training of our military services came from the Bible. That's where nearly all of these ideas came from. I noticed the other night, we were reading, and I noticed the word sergeant. I'd never, it wasn't sergeant, but it was a word similar to that in our reading, probably last Sunday night. And I never have looked that up, and I intended to this week, and I didn't get it done, but I'm pretty sure it means sergeant. Well, where did we get that word? From the Bible. You know, as, as hard as men try to get away from the Bible, they can't do it. They're dependent on it for so many different things without even realizing it. Verse 7. So thou, O son of man, I have set thee a watchman unto the house of Israel. Therefore thou shalt hear the word at my mouth and warn them from me. Ezekiel was a prophet. God inspired him. God gave him the message to preach. And he says here, I have set thee as a watchman to the house of Israel. And when I give you the word, you warn them. I don't mind telling you, sometimes that's hard to do. As an elder, as a preacher, as a teacher, as a family member sometimes, we don't want to tell our family, hey, you can't be doing that. When I say to the wicked, O wicked man, thou shalt surely die, if thou dost not speak to warn the wicked from his way, that wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood will I require at thy hand. And so what if we've got people around us that lose their soul? What about that? Are we supposed to be watchmen? Are we supposed to be warning people? I wouldn't say that God laid that on every single person. But if you take up the role of a teacher, I promise you that's what responsibility you are accepting. And that you will not run away from it. Nevertheless, if, verse 9, if thou warn the wicked of his way to turn from it, if he do not turn from his way, he shall die in his iniquity, but you've delivered your soul. You know, I've said for a long time around here, if somebody quits this congregation, and that happens, doesn't ever congregation. And we've went and talked to them and done what we could to fix their problem, then I feel good about the fact that we did that. But if they leave and we never said a word, I promise you that bothers me. That bothers me. I think that's what this is talking about. Verse 10, Therefore, O thou son of man, speak unto the house of Israel, thus 
ye speak, saying, If your transgressions and your sins be upon us, and we pine away in them, how should we then live? And so he says, you tell them. And you tell it like it is. You say what message I've given you. God has given us the message today. And we'll look at a few scriptures in a few moments that address some of these problems. But you know what? You can't help anybody if you won't tell them the truth. You can't. Because that's what's lacking in their life. And if you won't tell them, then who's supposed to do that? And so we have that obligation laid upon us to tell people the truth. I think the Bible's very plain in what it says about our attitude in doing that. 1 Timothy 2, 12, For the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, patient in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. What does that mean? They're doing things that are not in their best interest. They're doing things that are wrong, and they're going to pay the penalty if they don't change. There's a whole lot of difference in that and saying to somebody, well, you're just going to go to hell. That's not kind. That's not gentle. That's not meek. That's passing our own judgment upon that person. And John says, in the book of John, it says that all judgment is committed unto the Son. We need to tell them what sin is. And we need to show them what sin is. And we need to bring it to their attention. And then, folks, that's all we can do. God didn't tell us to take a baseball bat and go see how many people we could put under the water. He said, go tell them. Plant the seed. That's our job. He'll make it grow if they've got a good heart. Nine again, nevertheless, if thou warn the wicked of his way to turn from it, if he do not turn from his way, he shall die in his iniquity. But you've delivered your soul. You carried out your responsibility you're not in any danger of being disciplined by God because you did what your job was. And you can, that's worth a lot of comfort. That's a lot of comfort. When we go to a funeral, do we ever think about the fact that we might could have said something that would have changed that person? You know, we're never going to get that opportunity now, are we? It's too late. And that's why we need to be mindful of this up front. Therefore, O thou son of man, speak unto the house of Israel. Thus ye speak, saying, If our transgressions and our sins be upon us, and we pine away in them, how shall we then live? Say unto them, As I live, saith the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but the wicked that the wicked turn from his way and live, turn ye, turn ye from your evil ways, for why will you die, O house of Israel? 
God said, I don't take any pleasure in judging people. I don't take any pleasure in punishing people. That's why Jesus tasted death for every man. And whosoever will, let him come and take of the water of life freely. It's God's will that all men would be saved. The Bible says that. His will is that everybody would be saved. So why isn't everybody saved? Partly because of their own will. Partly because sometimes we lay down on the job. We don't do our job. Verse 12, Therefore thou son of man, say unto the children of thy people, The righteousness of the righteous, the righteousness of the righteous shall not deliver him in the day of his transgression. As for the wickedness of the wicked, he shall not fall thereby in the day that he turneth from his wickedness. Neither shall the righteous be able to live for his righteousness in the day that he sinneth. What he's basically saying to us here is we need to be living a righteous life. That's what we need to do. And he says, your own righteousness that you think is righteous, what, what are you talking about? I'm talking about guys like the rich young ruler. And Jesus told him, he said... You need to keep the command. He asked Jesus a question. Good master, what shall I do that I might inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, keep the commandments. He said, I've done that since I was a little kid. He hadn't. But he thought he had. Satan had convinced him he had. Folks, the truth is, he hadn't. He hadn't. And he went away sorrowful. And so as we look at this parable then, we can see that we have a responsibility to tell people the truth. Now back here in verse 7 through 9, I have set thee a watchman of the house of Israel, therefore thou shalt hear the word at my mouth and warn them from me. When I say to the wicked, O wicked man, thou shalt surely lie. If thou dost not speak to him, speak to warn the wicked from his way. That wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood will I require at thine hand. Nevertheless, if thou warn the wicked of his way to turn from it, if he do not turn from his way, he shall die in his iniquity, but thou hast delivered their soul. Let's turn over to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. Here in Acts 20 and verse number 20. And when he had so said, he showed unto him his hands. I'm not in Acts, I'm sorry. One book short, give me a second. Acts 20, 20. Paul is here talking to these Ephesian elders, and this is what he says. Wherefore I take you to record this day that I'm pure from the blood of all men. Why could Paul say that to these elders? 
I'm pure from the blood of all men. And he tells them why he can make that statement. For I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. All of it. Not some of it, not part of it, not most of it. All of it. And then as we look on down in chapter 26, pardon me, in verses 26, have I got it right? No. I'm lost here. Give me a second. Acts 20, verses 26 and 7. That's what I'm looking for. Okay. Therefore I take you to record this day, I am pure from the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare unto you the counsel of God. And then he says about the same thing later over in... uh, in Acts, that he tells somebody else that he's pure from the blood of these people. Why is he pure? Why is he not guilty? Why, why is he not responsible for not telling these people? Because he told them. And he told them plainly, and he told them lovingly. You know, Paul wrote a letter to Galatia. And Galatia had a lot of Judaizing teachers. And these people really followed Paul everywhere he went trying to undermine what he did. I mean, they were a real pain in the neck. And so when Paul wrote to Galatia, in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 19, he said, Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, tra- revelings, and the such like, of the which I tell you before, as I have told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. What did he tell them? He called out their sin. Do we have sins on that list? What did Paul say about it? He said, They that do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. That's pretty plain. I don't think it's ugly. I don't think it's mean. But I think it's to the point. And that's what we need to be willing to do publicly, house to house, wherever, wherever we're engaged. In James chapter 3, we come back to this idea of our responsibility. My brethren, be not many masters. In the other translations, that's translated, be not many teachers. And that bothered me a lot when I was younger, but it doesn't bother me anymore because I think that's really the context. I had a lot of people use that against me. Well, y'all think you've got to have a lot of teachers, and that's not so. Well, that is so because of other passages, but this is not the one I'd use. Be not many masters knowing that we will receive the greater condemnation. 
For if in many things we offend all, if any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man, and able also to bridle the whole body. He said, you know, if you just run around taking a swipe at everybody, you make a lot of enemies, and you upset a lot of people, and you give the church a bad name in the community. I'm just going to take my sword out and whack you on the arm. See how you like that? You see, there's a lot of responsibility involved in the work that we do and the way that we do it. And if we look at Christ as He went among the people, He told people the truth, but He did it kindly. He did it forcefully, but He did it kindly. And that's what we need to do. We don't need to say, well, I don't know. I don't, I don't know if I want to tell them this or not. Hey, if it's the truth, you need to tell them. You need to tell them. Now, sometimes I think we draw conclusions between two or three verses, and then we try to tell people, this is what God said. And I'm not so sure about us doing all of that. But if we can turn to a plain scripture like Galatians 5 and read that to a person, they're going to get the message without all of our, comp uh, without all of our comments and judgments and additions. They'll get it. You know, <clears throat> I remember when I first came here. And you all know that I was inadequate as a teacher in a lot of ways. And you know that sometimes I was kind of fiery about some of this stuff. And I remember one day we had gone to the lake. I had gone to the lake with Lawrence Bedwell, one of our deacons. We always talked about the Bible wherever we went. He said, you know, you, you just don't have to make a whole lot of comment about the Scripture. It's plenty capable of doing its job like it is. And I can tell you for many years he was turned off from the church because of the ugly remarks that people made. And that kept him from becoming a Christian. Do we really want to be in that role on Judgment Day? And I think he's right. I heard another story one time. A preacher in Lubbock told me this. He said they had some kind of a big church meeting, this preachers and the elders there. And one of these young preachers got up and he said, I'm set for the defense of the gospel. Another fellow said, well, I've always kind of found the, that the gospel's kind of like a tiger. It don't need too much defending. And I think that really makes a point. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God. It's just as power as His Word to create this heaven and earth if we get it in the hearts of men and women. I have no doubt about the power of God's Word. I've seen people's lives change so much when they embrace it. You know, I think for years, and I think when I started preaching, we had this idea that only people who looked just exactly like us was going to want the gospel anyway. If they was doing a lot of stuff out in the community that we didn't think was right, well, there's no use in talking to them because they're not going to make a good Christian. 
I'm going to tell you, that's a terrible assumption, and it's a lie of the devil to keep us from working. You cannot look at a person and know whether they're going to accept the gospel or not. You can't do it. It's our job to share it with everybody. Everybody. I want to read this passage that I mentioned a while ago in 2 Timothy. I didn't run on to this passage until after I'd been preaching the gospel a good while, but it really, it really changed my outlook when I ran into it about the way I wanted to do my work and the way I wanted to approach people. 2 Timothy 2.24 says, And the servant of the Lord must not strive. Wow. What? Do we consider ourselves servants of the Lord? The servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men. Apt. That means knowing what we're talking about. Capable. Apt to teach. Patient. You know what patient means? In the scripture, it's not exactly the same way we use that word today. It means more the idea of perseverance. I remember one time I was down in the Houston area preaching, and there was a fellow that I'd met, and he was, I think, over in the Orange community, which is about 100 miles away, and I really wanted to talk to this man, and I drove over there to talk to him, and I sat on his divan for about three hours that day, and he called me a chicken and a coward and every name you can think of. And when I was young, I would have met him in the middle of the floor. I don't know what he ever did, because he moved away from there shortly after that, but he told me, he said, you've made some good points for me to think about. Folks, that's what we need to do. He may forget what I said. He won't forget what those scriptures said. Just keep stacking those scriptures out there in front of people. They'll get it after a while. If you went tomorrow and applied for some job and it required working on a lot of equipment or something like that, would you know how to do that tomorrow? No. You'd have to put in some time learning, wouldn't you? Probably some reading, probably some on hands training. I'm going to tell you the gospel's the same way. Don't get upset the first time you tell somebody what the Bible says if they don't say, Oh, well, let's go do it right now. I'm going to tell you, that would not make me feel good because if I can lead them that readily, somebody else can too. And the next guy that comes down with Pike with a new story, they're going to go for that. That's not, that's not what we're looking for. We want people who will be steadfast. We want people who will be strong in the faith. We want people that will put their confidence in these scriptures. That's the kind of people we're looking for. Because those are the people that's going to stick. Those are the people that are going to come and worship God with us. Those are the people that are going to be there through thick and thin. Because their faith is strong. And faith comes by hearing the Word of God. As we go back to Acts 18, 
Verse number 8 says, And Crispus, the chief ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his house, all his family, and many of the Corinthians, hearing, believed and were baptized. Many of the Corinthians, hearing, believed, and, we were, and were baptized. Isn't that what Jesus said in the Great Commission, Mark 16? Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. And when Paul went to, to this place and preached, that's exactly what happened to those brethren at Corinth. They obeyed it. Verse 9 says, Then spake the Lord to Paul in the night by vision, Be not afraid, but speak, and don't be silent. Hold not thy peace. Speak up. I've got people in this place that need the word. Get out there and tell them. Don't bash them. Just get out there and tell them the simple truth. You know, I don't know about you, but when I go to buy a dishwasher or a car, I don't really like pushy salesmen. I think I'm capable of making my own decision about what I want to do. I want somebody to give me the facts. I want to know how this thing's going to work. I want to know what's going to happen if I take it home and it don't work. That's what people want to know. If I'm going to give up this lifestyle and I'm going to give up all these friends that I've had all these years and if I'm going to quit doing all this stuff that I really have pleasure in, what am I going to get out of that? If I come up there to that church, how are people going to look at me? Are they going to look down the end of their nose? Are they going to say, well, you don't really fit here. Those are the kinds of questions that people have. Because most people have had bad experiences in religious matters. They just have. And they're looking for a place of peace and a place to fit in. And so the tendency is a lot of times with churches is just to take everybody in and not tell them about repentance and that they need to make some changes in their life. And that way we can get a big old crowd of people. But what have you got? Faithless people who don't understand the sovereignty of God and of Jesus Christ. And that what we do and what we say and what we think are important to God. And this is not our social club to see how many members that we can get on the roll. This is our brothers and sisters in the Lord that we're going to go to heaven with. That's who's in this building, folks. And that's what we're looking for, is people that want that same thing. Not everybody wants that. I can tell you, there's a lot of things being sold as religion all over town. I don't want any of it. Because it won't do for me what the gospel of Jesus Christ does for me. It may be party, party, party. Hey, if I want to go to a party, 
I can go to the circus. I can go to the show. I can go to a lot of places and get the party in. That's not what makes you feel good in the inside. That's not what gives you comfort in time of trouble. That's not what gives you hope as we look to the future. But the gospel will do that. Paul said to those Corinthians, Be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. I can tell you, no matter where you become involved in the community, and I'm not speaking out against not doing that. I think sometimes maybe we need to be a little more involved in our communities and get to know people better, but you can go join all these organizations and do all of these things. But at the end of the day, that's not going to help you spiritually. Because whatever you do there is for the praise of men. Not the praise of God. In verse number 8, no, we read that one. In verse 10, after he told him to speak and not be silent, he said, I am with thee, and no man shall hurt thee, for I have much people in this city. And he continued there a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. So, he said, I am with thee. That's his exact words in the Great Commission. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. And lo, I am, all, I am there with you always, even to the end of the world. He said, I'm going to be there with you. I'm going to be there holding your hand. When you go talk to people, it won't do you any good to go if you're not going to pray about it. Because God gives the increase. That's what the scripture says. I planted Apollos water, but God gives the increase. And we need to pray about these things. And we need to have a sincere love for people. And we need to tell them things that we believe will help them. And if we do it in a kind way, even though they may not like it, later on they may come around. You know... Gay and I kind of reached out to a family here a while back, tried to. We didn't get it done. And um, then we heard later through somebody else that they asked this question. What are they up to? What do they want? (laughs) You know, we're weird to people. We are a lot of times. Sometimes that's good. We're to be a peculiar people, a different people. But I hope we're not different in a bad way. As we read on here, I'm going to skip some of these verses. But they they got in a big brouhaha among some of the people there in the synagogue and, and Paul and them and then one of these leaders said, well, listen, I, I, I don't want to get involved in y'all's problems. Do you know most people feel that way? I don't want to be involved in y'all's problems. 
And if you're telling people about how many problems you've got and how many people you've lost faith in and how terrible you think people in the community are, they just really don't want to be a part of that. There's nothing edifying about that. Verse 19, and, and he came to Ephesus and he left them there, but he himself entered into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they desired him to tarry longer time with them, he consented not, but bade them farewell, saying, I must by all needs keep the feast that cometh at Jerusalem, but I will return again unto you if God will. And he sailed from Ephesus. Again, he went into this synagogue to reason with the people before he left. And he got their attention. They wanted him to stay, but he says, I need to get to Jerusalem because I want to keep the feast. But I'll come back if God wills. Verse 22 says, When he had landed at Caesarea and gone up and saluted the church, he went down to Antioch, and after he spent some time there, he departed and went over all the country of Galatia and Phrygia in order, strengthening all the disciples. Do you know that's what our job is? Strengthening the disciples. How do we do that? By eating Mexican food? Maybe some. There's good side effects from that. There's, it's, it's good for us to enjoy each other and eat together. But if we're really going to strengthen people, we've got to get them into the Bible. And let them read the Word. Faith comes by hearing. And I'm here to tell you tonight, it doesn't come from any other way. And I, I have been for our summer meetings from day one. And I am. But I can tell you something. You can provide entertainment and you can feed kids cookies, but you're not going to strengthen them till you get them in the Word of God. Because that's where strength comes from. That's where faith comes from. Hopefully, as we get young people together and they have a good time together, hopefully some of this will help them. That's our purpose in doing that. If we weren't going to try to teach them, then I'd be, I would not be in favor of us having the summer work. Because it takes a lot, a lot of work of the members of this church. And it takes a lot of money. But I think our own congregation is as important as this stuff up here. And I'm an evangelist. And I, I like the supporting of evangelism. But you know, if we run all over the world trying to evangelize people and we neglect our own families, we're not getting ahead. So all of that's necessary. Verse 24 says, A certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in the Scriptures, came to Ephesus. This man was instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spake and taught diligently the things of the Lord, knowing only the baptism of John. And he began to speak boldly in the synagogue, whom when Aquila and Priscilla had heard, he took him unto them and expounded unto him the way of God more perfectly. There was this preacher by the name of Apollos. He'd been converted to Christ. 
in a sense. I don't judge the man. I don't know exactly where he was standing with God at that time, but he didn't understand all the gospel completely. And Priscilla and Aquila took him unto them. They took him aside. It could have been to a cafe. It could have been to their house. It could have been to the park. It could have been somewhere else. I don't know. And they expounded unto him the way of the Lord more perfectly. And when he was disposed to pass unto Achaia, the brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples to receive him, who, when he was come, helped them much, which had believed through grace. And he mightily convinced the Jews, and that publicly, showing by the Scriptures that Jesus was Christ. He knew the Scriptures. He just didn't know about the gospel plan of salvation. That's what he lacked. He didn't know about that. You know, there's some things that are different about John's baptism and the baptism we received today. John did not baptize people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. There's no mention of that anywhere in his teaching in the Gospels. The people that came to John confessed their sin. That's what it says. That was the confession that they made. They didn't confess Jesus. They confessed their sins. According to the next chapter, their faith was not in a crucified and risen Savior, but in a coming Savior. He didn't know the story of Jesus yet. See? And that's why that some of these people needed to be baptized again. They needed to confess their faith in Jesus. That's what they needed to confess. They needed to have faith in the resurrection of Jesus. That's what they needed. And so they expounded to him the Word of God more perfectly. And evidently his preaching changed right then. I want to mention one thing before I pass on. I had intended to make some notes and I didn't get that done this evening. They began to speak boldly in the synagogue, whom when Aquila and Priscilla had heard, they took him unto them and expounded unto him the way of God more perfectly. What does that mean? You know, we puzzle sometimes about that passage, but to me it's pretty straightforward. They expounded. I believe that Priscilla taught a preacher. I think that's just as plain as it can be in that verse. I remember right after I started preaching, there was a lady by the name of Anita Bryant. Probably most of y'all have never heard her name. She became Miss America from the state of Florida. And this was in the 1970s. And I mean the wrath of this nation came upon her. Most people didn't even know what a homosexual was at that time. They drove her, as I saw some headlines there today, to the brink of suicide. And I knew she just completely dropped out of the news when all that broke. 
The reason I'm bringing that up, I remember one of the brethren down at Pasadena when I was in a meeting down there. And, he, and he, he made this statement. He said, isn't it a shame that a woman had to take that stand and that the men weren't willing? That's a soul-searching question, isn't it? You know, I'd been taught from the time that I was small that women were not supposed to teach men. And I believe that. I mean, I was pretty pretty hardcore on this role of women in the home. And that set me to thinking, and I had to re-examine some of the things, and it, it didn't happen to me very quickly. And then I got to looking at some other passages. I found a track that had some other passages, and we read about Huldah and about Deborah in the Old Testament. And we read that they had authority over men and that they delivered the commandments of God to men. You know, it just didn't fit my idea very good. And I wasn't real sure what I was going to do about that. And there's more passages than that. And I finally figured out, you know what? I'm going to have to change my mind. And as I've searched, there's not a passage anywhere in the Bible that says a woman cannot teach a man. It didn't matter if that's what I believed when I started preaching. Like Apollos, I was wrong. I was just wrong. Because the Bible don't say that. If women can't teach men, we've cut our evangelistic force right in half. Because there's half of the world that they can't evangelize. And I don't believe that. I think Priscilla and Aquila is an example of that. That's exactly what she did. That's exactly what she did. I studied with a preacher in New Mexico last year, and he had that same idea. And we had a fantastic discussion for five hours. And nobody ever raised their voice. We just talked about passages. It was very enjoyable. And he was where I had been, and he, he was struggling with that. And toward the end of the discussion, I said, I want to ask you one thing, and I just want you to think about it. Are you ready to send these godly women to the bad place because of what they did? And he said, no, I don't think I'm ready to do that. And I said, well... I realize you're struggling and you're just going to have to figure this out for yourself. I, I appreciate you taking time and talking to me today and I've had a wonderful time. And we had supper and I went back to town. See, there's a lot of people don't know that. And I hear these guys on the radio from all these different churches that are teaching that same doctrine today that a woman cannot teach a man. And it's just wrong. And so I think we're not being fair to our ladies if we tell them that. Somebody says, well, are you saying that women ought to go out and be evangelists and they need to be gospel? No, I'm not saying that. 
I'm not saying that. None of the examples that we've looked at tonight or that I've mentioned are of that. All of these examples of women teaching men are outside the church. They're outside the church. And I don't think it's right for us to hold women down in areas that the Bible doesn't because we're misrepresenting God when we do that. So I ask you to study that and think about it. Um, I appreciate our ladies. Every one of them. And I know we have ladies that are inviting people to church all the time. I appreciate that. That's what makes the church grow. And I want you to know if you get an opportunity to, to talk to a man, there's nothing in God's Word that will prohibit that. And you know if we take this, if this passage to heart in, in 1 Timothy 2.12, the servant of the Lord must not strive, and we just gently teach God's Word to people, they'll come around. And I know of women that have been in the church for a long time that men led, pardon me, Men that have been in the church for a long time. We had one elder here that was led by a woman to accept the truth. Why would we not want them to do that? Part of it is because of our traditions. You know, if we believe something a long time, that's just not near built in. But I never had looked at a bunch of these other scriptures. I wasn't even aware they were in the Bible. And then somebody pointed it out to me. Brother, that's the attitude we need to have towards God's Word. If we look in the Bible and we see something that we've believed, I don't care how long we've believed it, how many brethren believe it, how strongly our family believes it, if that's not what the Bible says, it's just wrong. And we don't need to believe it, and we sure don't need to teach others and bind it on them. The lesson's yours this evening. I hope that the study has encouraged you in some way. We enjoy these uh, chapter studies, and um, I hope we learn something from it. Thank you for your kind attention this evening.